You know, I love singing the old hymns from time to time because uh, it involves all of us. And, you know, I, I know that some might not admit this, but I, I feel like uh, you get to a certain age and you either don't like or uh, just can't sing the, the, some of the other songs quite as well. But man, the hymn brings it all together. And one thing that I've noticed about the times that we do sing the hymns here is it is louder uh, in this room because I think everybody is singing. And so I can, I love the songs that we do, but I appreciate when uh, we sing some of the old hymns. Good morning and welcome to Gateway. My name is Brian Dillon. I'm the campus minister here, and uh, we're glad that all of you are here this morning, uh, especially if it's your first time. We want to welcome you, and, and we're glad that you came out to worship with us. Uh, you know, there was once a, a wealthy man who owned an impressive ranch in, in Texas, and he was one of these big, boisterous types, a, a man who liked to flaunt his wealth. Uh, and you just imagine somebody who looks like, well, uh, this guy right here. Uh, maybe less evil, but that's kind of what he looks like. Big hat, uh, big, you know, he's very confident of himself. I imagine maybe a cigar in his fingers or hanging out of his mouth. And, and this guy, he, he loved to throw lavish dinner parties where he would invite his guest afterwards up to his giant floodlit swimming pool for a swim. And when the guests would come to see the pool, right from the outset, he would say, he would announce this challenge. If any of you will swim the length of this pool, then I will give you your choice of one of three things, $10 million, half my estate, or the wife, or the hand of my daughter, not the wife, the hand of my beautiful daughter in marriage. But there's a catch. I must warn you before you jump in the pool, there is a hungry shark. Wow, sorry. Shark waiting for you in the pool. That's right. This man was so extravagant. He had a shark, there we go, living in his swimming pool. And now party after party, as you can imagine, there was never anybody brave enough to try it until one evening as he was making the challenge, right as he finished, he heard a splash as somebody jumped into the pool. And he was shocked. Everybody was shocked that somebody would actually do this. He turned around and saw that it had been caused by a very finely dressed young man who was now vigorously swimming as fast as he could toward the other end of the pool. And wouldn't you know... He made it the entire length of the pool and pulled himself out just as the shark hit the other, hit the end wall and almost got him. Everybody was in shock at what they had just seen. I can't believe he actually jumped in, including the wealthy host. But as he shook away the surprise, he said, Congratulations, young man. You are the first person to ever complete my challenge. Now, what is it that you would like? Uh, is it the $10 million? And still gasping for breath, still wide-eyed, the young man says, no. The wealthy man then says, well then, uh, will, it, would it be, will it be half of my estate that you would like? No, not that either. Ah, said the host. Then it's the, the hand of my beautiful daughter in marriage. That must be what you're after. A fine choice, my friend. Welcome to the family. But once again, the young man spoke and said, no, I don't want that either. Well, puzzled, the wealthy Texan turns to him and said, well, son, what is it that you want then? And the young man still panting says, I want the name of the person that pushed me in the pool. 
And just like that young man, we are here today looking for a name. And we have begun our pray for one journey, and we are looking for a name, looking for the person that God would have us reach out to in the name of Jesus. The one that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus and is ripe for the harvest that we talked about last week. The one of the 70% of our community who doesn't have a church home and may not know that Jesus is what they need, but God has put us on a crash course with them. And it might be a, a friend or a, a coworker or a family member or even somebody that maybe you don't even know all that well yet, but God is pushing you towards them. You know they don't have an active relationship with Jesus. And even if you don't know who they are, you don't quite know their name, you don't know them that well, you're getting a sense in your heart that God is wanting you to make a connection with them so you can share the good news of Jesus. And so we pray for opportunities and we actively look for opportunities to reach our one. You know, some of you may know uh, a man named Gus Andrews. He's been preaching uh, for us here at Gateway off and on since he moved here last summer. And he shared with us the other day in preparation for this week's sermon that a, a neighbor of his is his one. And he has noticed that God has already been setting up a couple of events, a couple of opportunities recently where Gus could feel the prodding of the Holy Spirit to talk with his neighbor and grow closer with them. Now, when we start praying for our one, we need to be ready for God to move. This is not a prayer that, does, that goes unanswered. If we're going to pray this, we need to be ready for him to move, and we need to be looking for ways that he is moving, looking for opportunities. If you're not ready, then it's almost as if you've decided already that God's not going to do anything, that God won't move in this way, but he will, so you better be ready. This isn't a prayer where we sit back and wait for God to do all the work. He will give us a name, but it's up to us to, to build a relationship with that person so that we can share Jesus with them. That's the way that God has set this whole thing up. That's the way that the, the good news is spread. It's through each one of us. We are plan A. There is no plan B. This is the way that God has chosen to spread the gospel, and so you better be ready. This is a dangerous prayer for some because it means that you're going to have to do something. But I hope that's okay with you. And I hope it doesn't scare you out of joining us in this Pray for One journey because here's the thing. This is the call of the Christ follower. This is what we have been called to do. This is the commission that was set forth by Jesus before he left this earth. That we would go and make disciples. Certainly, we are recipients of his amazing grace but we should also be participants in sharing it. And so let's do it. Let's be the Christ followers that he has called us to be. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about being willing to pray for everyone, even the ones that make you turn the other direction when you see them in public. And hey, that week, somebody suggested to me that maybe it's me that people are avoiding in public, that people don't want to run into the preacher at Kroger. Maybe you're the one turning the other direction for me. And you know what's worse about that? I let that guy get up here and preach last week. That guy that said that to me, he's the one that preached to you all last week. I, I had to swallow my pride and say, I guess I'll let Jeff preach after he said that to me. And that's fine. If that's how you really feel, if you're turning the other direction, you don't want to see me at Kroger, well, I'm just going to tell you, you better be praying extra hard next time you're at Kroger that you don't see me because I'll come up. I'll, I'll seek you out. You know, when we pray for everyone, it includes the people we don't want to see. 
Last week we talked about an uncommon compassion for those that are around us every day, but maybe we miss. That we should slow down and pray for everyone or pray for anyone that crosses our path. It's a sad reality that there are people that we don't even see on a daily basis. And even as I was preaching last week, I started to feel this guilt over being a Christ follower and just completely missing people. Not even seeing these children of God because I'm too wrapped up in my life and where I'm going next. And it was kind of sad, you know? And then to talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan and have this realization that perhaps we're a little bit more like the priest and the Levite than we would care to admit. I just think that we can do better. And in fact, we have to do a better job of seeing people if we want to spread the love of Jesus. Let us be known, let us stand out as Christ followers by the compassion that we have for others, by the way that we see others that the world doesn't see. When we pray for anyone, it includes the people that we don't take time to see. But today, we're going to get specific. If you're with us on a regular basis, you've no doubt noticed that the service looks a little bit different today. We've already talked about it a couple times, and don't worry, we are still taking communion this morning, so don't think that we're not. But we've done this because at the end of our service, we're going to give you an opportunity to write the name of your one on one of the walls here. And we're going to get to that here in a little bit, but things look a little bit different because they are a little bit different. For now... I'd ask you to join me in Luke chapter 15 if you have your Bible here with you this morning. I'd like to go through the first 10 verses of Luke chapter 15 together. And Luke 15 is sometimes called the, the lost chapter, not because the manuscripts were, manuscripts were misplaced or they couldn't be found or anything like that. It's because Jesus tells three parables about things that have been lost in order to describe God's heart for lost people. Now, before we start reading, I I want us to notice Jesus' audience here as he speaks that day. Luke tells us that there were four groups of people there listening to him speak. There were the tax collectors, the sinners, the scribes, and the Pharisees. And really, you could divide that down into two major groups, uh, the the desirables and the undesirables, or the in-crowd and the out-crowd. If you were to ask one of the scribes or Pharisees there that day, you could divide it into the righteous and the unrighteous. And one of the things that that drove the religious leaders and other opponents of Jesus crazy is that it was his insistence on making the undesirables, the unrighteous, the hero of the story. See, with God, the in crowd is the out crowd, and the out crowd is the in crowd. In his parables, Jesus often went against the grain of his people's expectations. Because one of the big things that Jesus taught was what is important in this life is not important in the kingdom of God. If you want to be first, then you have to be last. If you want to be rich, then you have to get rid of all your things. If you want to be great, you must first become a servant. These are the kingdom values that were taught by Jesus. And given what Jesus is about to say here in Luke 15, it's important to remember who's in the crowd and then pay attention to who was closest to him as he taught. And so let's go through it, starting with verse 1 here of Luke 15, where Luke writes, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. 
We get a picture here of the tax collectors and the sinners being right down front, crowding in to make sure they didn't miss a word of what Jesus had to say. They were, they were aching for his teaching, listening intently to what he taught, while the religious leaders stood in the back with their arms folded, grumbling to one another. Righteous men, no, they did not associate with sinners and tax collectors. This is not how a righteous man should be living. And it really made them angry that this man who claimed to be the son of God would frequently hang out with these sinners. There were many sinners on Jesus' list of acquaintances, and he even had a tax collector amongst his closest followers. This was not how a righteous man should live. But it shouldn't have come as any surprise to them because Jesus had flat out told them, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so Jesus sees them in the back. He hears their grumbling. And in response, he tells these two stories. Verse three, so he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls his, his, together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It's Jesus' way of saying, look, I hang out with these people because they are the ones that I'm here for. You cast them out, but I am inviting them in. And while these parables seem to be a direct response to the religious leaders, I also think it's important for the people that were right down in front, these tax collectors and sinners, to hear this. The tax collectors and sinners, they had been told that they were not worthy of the love of God. They were not worthy to be seen by him. They've been looked down upon by the people who claim to be the representatives of God, those that speak for God. You would then expect, if you were them, for the Son of God to condemn you as well. Yet that's not what's happening. So what can we learn from these parables? Well, first, God loves the one person. God's love is broad and specific at the same time. He loves the world, the whole world, while also loving the one on a personal level. The shepherd, he knew exactly which of his sheep had been lost. Why? Because that's what shepherds did. They knew the flock so well that even if only one of the 100 went missing, they knew exactly which one it was. And so it is with Jesus. Peter called Jesus the chief shepherd and the shepherd and overseer of our souls. God is just like the shepherd in the story. He knows each of us individually, and he loves each of us individually. And while this is amazing news for each of us, it also means that God already knows and loves your one. This pray for, journey, pray for one journey is a partnership with him. Like we said last week, we are on mission with Jesus. And in God's economy, one is a big number. That's why he wants each of us to pray for one person to focus on bringing to him, because he wants every one to come to him. Every one is important to God. 
just like the one coin was important to the woman cleaning her house. It was more valuable perhaps to her her than others because, well, this was a day's wage. You might make more than me and you might think that one coin isn't that big of a deal, but this coin is a big deal to me. It's very important. She's looking everywhere for this coin, turning her house upside down. I love the phrase that Jesus used. She was seeking diligently. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I send my kids to look for something that they've lost in the other room, it doesn't always turn out that well. You, you don't feel like looking for it. It's their responsibility. Please just do it yourself. So you send them into the other room and they absentmindedly take two laps around, not actually looking, and they come back and they say, I can't find it, right? And, and they can't find it. And, and at least 70% of the time, they walked right past it twice and they didn't see it because they aren't really looking. They aren't seeking diligently, but not so with this woman. She was looking. She was turning her house upside down in order to find this coin. I mean, can you imagine for us, can you imagine losing just hundreds of dollars? You go out to dinner, as you, as you pull out your wallet, money, this $100, like $400 falls out of your wallet, and you don't even realize it until you get home, <laughs> until you get home and you realize that it's been lost. Now, you drop couple dollars, you drop some coins, I'm not going back. I I won't miss it. You drop a few hundred dollars, you're getting back in the car, you're driving back to see if it's still there, right? You're calling the restaurant, hey, did you find, I I lost some money, did you find it? And and I don't know how much a day's wage is for some of you high rollers here, but maybe it's high enough that you would call and put, offer a reward for its safe return. That's how diligently you are searching for this coin of yours. And so it is with the value that God has put on the life of someone who does not have a relationship with Jesus. Now, we, don't, we haven't read the, the third parable in this passage. We're not going to this morning. But this is the parable of the lost son, or perhaps more commonly known as the prodigal son. And this is one of the most well-known parables that Jesus tells. It's the story of a son who asked for and then squanders his entire inheritance before it, he hits rock bottom coming to his senses and returning home. And the son, on his way home, he's getting this speech in his head. He expects he's going to have to beg for forgiveness and only return to his father's estate as a lowly servant. Certainly, he won't be restored to what he was. But instead, he finds his father rushing out to meet him, running out to meet him at the end of the street. There's an interesting difference between these these parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin when compared to the lost son. In the first two, an intense search is taking place. But in the prodigal son story, the father, he doesn't go out searching. Instead, he just waits earnestly and patiently for his son to return. So why the difference? Well, I'm sure that Jesus had several reasons, but one truth is this, that God makes the choice to search. But it's man who has to hear the word in order to come to his senses and repent in order to find his way back to God. See, the first two stories are about an animal or a thing. The third one is about a person. The person has to make the choice to come back. Because God could choose to save anyone he wants without any of our help. I mean, he's God. He can do anything. He's all-powerful. But his choice is to save those who hear the word and respond by choosing to find their way home. That's the beauty of our free will. He's given us free will, but are we using that freedom 
to come back to him. God loves each of us on a personal level. And he loves the one he's nudging you to pray for. And so who is that person? Who is the name of that person? Are we ready to get specific this morning? I certainly hope that we are. But that's not all that God loves. He doesn't just love the one. God also loves the big party. And this is the cool part of these parables, right? This is the cool part of anything is the party. It's usually pizza at a party. That's why it's so cool. You know, each time the lost was found in these stories, there was great rejoicing. The shepherd finds the lost sheep. He calls together his friends and neighbors, asks them to come over and rejoice with him that he's found this lost sheep. The woman finds her coin. Immediately she calls her friends and neighbors, asks them to come over and rejoice with her that she has found this lost coin. The father, he, he runs out, he brings the ring and the robe for his son. They kill the fattened calf. They're going to have a big old party to celebrate the return of his son that was lost. Jesus says there will be a party in heaven when the sinner repents. I mean, you think you've been to some good parties? You think you've been to a real banger or two? Imagine the party that God is throwing when the sinner repents. Parties were always a big part of what God was doing. In the Old Testament, he set up feasts to try and condition his people to be grateful, joyful, and to celebrate life with him. When Jesus came to earth, he, he attended parties as well. In fact, he attended so many parties, it caused the Pharisees to say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I mean, Jesus went to a lot of parties. His first miracle was performed at a party. And one reason for that is that parties, they bring joy. At least the right parties do. They bring joy. Paul says to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, how many of you, when I read that just now, had that song playing through your head, right? Rejoice in the Lord. Oh. <clears throat> it's, we didn't just do one hymn today. Now we're doing VBS songs. You know, that, that's one thing that I think we are severely lacking as Christ followers is joy. We don't have much joy. And you know why joy is important? Joy shows that you have a hope that extends beyond this world, that no matter what this world throws at you, no comes your way, I have a joy that goes beyond all that. Now, this isn't happiness. I'm not saying you have to be happy all the time. God has created each of us with emotions. So it's okay. It's okay to be happy. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be scared or embarrassed. See, joy is different than that, though. Joy is deeper. Joy is persistent, a prevailing part of your life that exists through all the highs and the lows because you know that God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for you. And his death and his resurrection mean that you get to spend eternity in heaven and nothing of this world could ever take that away. And I think that joy is important because if people don't see joy in your life, if they see you constantly getting caught up in the same things as everyone else, getting tripped up by the same things as everyone else, then it kind of drowns out your witness a little bit, right? We want to provide hope to the hopeless, and we want others to experience the love and the grace and the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. But if there's no joy in your life, if there's no difference in how you handle the pitfalls of your life, it might cause people to question what makes Jesus different from anything else that I could follow. Friends, joy is important. And parties, well, they bring joy. 
So maybe we should throw more parties when, when people are baptized. Maybe you should plan a party when your one responds by coming to church or saying they want to repent of their old life. At least take them out for an ice cream Sunday after the service. You know, maybe as a church, we should be partying more in general. Small groups could have appreciation parties for first responders and teachers. We can have block parties in our neighborhoods or pool parties or just playing backyard barbecue parties. You know, parties were a victim of this pandemic. And I really hope that we're getting to a point where we have enough immunity or other things built up so we can get back to having more parties again this summer. Because parties bring joy. And I think we need more joy in our lives. So let's be intentional about having more joy. I'm telling you, as we pray for one and reach out to our one, having a joy that exists outside of our circumstances is like a light shining bright in the darkness for those that are looking for hope. So let's show the world what Jesus is really like. Let's have big parties and plant some seeds of the gospel into the hearts of the 70% of our community that don't have a church home. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for some big parties to break out. And I'll be anxiously awaiting my invite, so don't forget to invite the preacher. Make sure he's on the list. I'm ready for parties here and in heaven as we begin to see our ones repent and come back to the Father. And make no mistake, God is planning the biggest party ever called the wedding supper of the Lamb. God is amazing and that he loves the world while also loving the one. And sometimes it's hard for us to comprehend that he could do that. How can you love the whole world and yet still want to hear from little old me? How can you love everyone and still want to know about my problems? We think it impossible to do both because, well, that would stretch us too thin. I mean, I can't love everybody equally. I can't love everybody on a deep, intimate level. But it's not too hard for God. And here's what else is great about God. He knows our limits. And so we don't have to love the whole world equally all at the same time. We just have to love God and keep a close relationship with him while also loving those around us, loving our neighbors and making disciples of those who don't have a relationship with him. I'm really excited for this Pray for One journey. And I'm really hopeful that you'll join with me on it. I love Pray for One because of its simplicity. It boils the most important commands of Jesus into this one simple charge. Jesus said, you got to love God and you got to love others as yourself. Those are the two most important commandments. And then before he left, he said, I want you to go and make disciples and teach them about me and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of that comes under this pray for one heading. And I I don't know if you sit there and you think, oh, this is just another church thing. It's another sermon series. It's another thing that they're they're pushing on me. But one reason that we're so excited about this is is it, it isn't just some fad. This is the way it's always supposed to have been. That I would love the people around me enough. I would love my neighbors enough to want to tell them, to pray for them and tell them about Jesus, to pray for opportunities to reach them, being intentional about reaching those who are around me. I think we all know we've been supposing to do this for a long time, but sometimes we just get caught up in the minutia of life and forget to do what we've been called to do as Christ followers. And so friends, let's toss out the complexities that we've created. 
Let's cast aside the meaningless squabbles that we find ourselves in and instead start praying for one that the, might, the world might be changed one person at a time. We all want to change the world. We all wish that the world was better, that there was less evil in the world. We know the way to do that is to change a person's heart. And when we're intentional about changing the hearts of those around us, for God to change the hearts of those around us, that's how we're going to see change. Not arguing with people, not getting upset with people, not complaining about people, but actually asking for opportunities to reach people, people for Jesus. I truly believe we will see our community change and we can see the world change if we start praying for one, taking that intentionally, and really going after it so that people can know Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you we can gather here this morning. And as, we, as we're on this journey to pray for one, I pray that we would be intentional about it. That it wouldn't just be something that, that we would ignore. Something that we just cast aside like it's just another, it'll be done in a month. Something we can just outlast. I, I pray that we would come to you and ask it, who it is that you want us to be praying for, that we would love those who are around us enough that they would get to experience the salvation that we ourselves know about, that they may not know about, that we'd be willing to to go beyond the awkward, that we'd be willing to, to get out of the status quo of our relationships and start being intentional about the way that we love, about the way that we befriend people, the way that we provide hope to people. Because, Father, there are times that we selfishly hang on to your love and your grace. And we may know that we have a hope that goes beyond this world, but there are so many people around us that don't know that. And you have sent your son Jesus to die for each one of us because you wanted that relationship, that eternal relationship with us, to, to tear down the walls of sin that divide us. You loved the whole world so much. You loved each of us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross because that was the only way. We're so thankful for the grace that has torn down the wall of sin. And I pray that we wouldn't just be recipients of this grace, that we would be participants and sharing the grace with those around us that don't know what Jesus has done for them, that don't know the hope that, that we have inside of each of us. So, Father, I pray that that the Holy Spirit would burn inside of us. That that it would burn so bright and and so loud inside of us that that we wouldn't be able to not do this. That this would be a, a movement within our congregation and within our communities. That we would see more and more people coming to know Jesus or coming back to the Father that they would cast aside the things of this world and instead turn their eyes to Jesus. Father, we thank you that, that you are so amazing that you love all of us, the whole world, on a, big, on a personal level. And I thank you for the grace that comes through that. Most of all, I thank you for your son, Jesus. And I pray that more would come to know him in the coming weeks. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've come to the point in our service where things are going to look a little bit different. Here in just a moment, the band is going to play. And during that time, 
we want to invite you to come and take communion. We got our, our stations, two in the front and one in the back. And you just come and, and take it back to your seat. While the band is playing, you can just spend some time in reflection, examination, just spend that time in communion with the Father. So thankful for his love that he would send his son Jesus to die for each of us. And what does that mean for our life? So then on your own time, when you're finished, you can bring your cuts back up at that time if you'd like. And then this is where we're going to write the names of our one on the, on the boards on the side. We've got our markers up here and they're just ready for you just write the first name of the person. We're not looking to uh, ID anybody today or anything like that. Just the first name or the initials of somebody that you, that you feel like God is putting on your heart. That you're asking for opportunities to reach for Jesus. And what, would be, what I would really think is cool is if we could fill these, name, these walls with the names of people and we could just sit back and say, wow, look at how many names this church is praying for right now praying intently that they would come to know. I'd love to fill these walls with names of people that we're praying for, intentionally praying for. If you don't have a name yet, that's okay. There's no need to panic or anything like that. These walls aren't going anywhere. You can come next week. So I don't want you to be distracted by that, but I, I would love for you to come and write your name up there. And, and you know, some people have worried, well, what if, what if they come and they see their name up there? <laughs> what if they do? What if you could tell them, you know what? In February, I wrote your name on that board. And here it is, August. I've been praying for you every day since then. Imagine the impact that could have to see that God has moved them from where they are now to where they are then. Say, man, I've been praying for you and God has moved in big ways to bring you to this point. And so I don't think we need to be ashamed that somebody might see their name. I think that's a testament to what God can do. So just write the first names on there or the initials. We'd love to have you come do that. So just as the band plays, take communion as, as you would, and then you can write your name after that. And then just after that song, we're going to take just about 60 seconds just to intentionally pray for our one. We'll just all be doing that at the same time. Jay, if you could just kind of lead us between songs and that. Um, and then after that, and this, we're going to play another song after that. And that's our time of invitation. If you come this morning and you haven't, you don't have that relationship yet with Jesus, I'll be right down front in the second song. And I'd love to talk to you about that. Or if you just need prayer this morning, and I'd love to pray with you and just bring God into whatever situation. But if you have a response to make, whether it's a decision to be repent and be baptized this morning, or just, you just feel the need to respond in prayer, then I'll be right up front here. We'd love to, I'd love to talk to you. So here in just a moment, we're just going to, they're going to start playing. We'll lead into our time of communion. And during that first song, do communion, write your name up there. Or if you need to do it during the second song, that's fine too. But during the second song, I'll be right up here if you have a response to make. So let's, uh, let's head into that song now and join together.